new here. It's my first time. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another episode. Our international tournament cups runneth over. There is literally so much football going on at the moment that you can basically call us both Mr. Worldwide. We are Pitbull. We are everywhere, all the time, international love. It's unbelievable, but it is a great time because it is that time of the year. It's the time of the season where international football is meant to reign supreme. So we are going to crack into all of the goodness that has been happening all across the world. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Today, you have me, Marissa Lodanik, and my sister in Christ, Samantha Lewis. Unfortunately, as you all know, we've got no Anna Harrington and no Angela Christian Wilkes. They are off traversing the globe, having a great time. You'll have probably seen Angela's TikToks or Instagrams, depending on your social media of choice. If you don't know what I'm talking about, off you go. Go follow the Far Post pod on those social medias. But Sam, it's you and me, bestie. We're doing it. We're going to talk some football. It's going to be great. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I will have listeners know that I I hooted and hollered with laughter about three times during that intro, but you couldn't hear me because I was on mute. It was a great intro, Marissa. It's a, a, a nice, uh, refreshing change to have you back to finally wrangle the cats that are me, Harrow, and Angela trying to run this goddamn podcast on our own. We were getting to the end of our tether, i tell you what. I just, um, like, this is a month's worth of dumb jokes just coming out in one, <laughs> like, fell swoop. So let's stop talking about nonsense and let's get into the football. We have... Currently, as we are recording, four international tournaments on the go. Another one will be starting, and then there are some other ones that we won't really be focusing on, but they are happening. So it's an absolutely bananas kind of thing. But as we always like to start podcasts, we'll do some you love to see it. So from the whole kind of spectrum of football that's been happening at the moment, what have you loved to see, Samantha? Oh my God, there, there's been so much. And like, what a luxury it is to sit here and be like, I haven't actually had time to watch all of the women's football that's been on. You know, like I think back to when I was in my early teens wanting to try and, and watch women's football. And I don't know how many viruses I, if I infected my very old ancient laptop with, downloading just weird links and clicking on things and like going on LimeWire and having to like download parcels that I didn't know what it contained, but it had some keywords in it that I was Googling and, you know, finding some sort of dodgy live stream to watch a game. And that back then a game was like a huge game as well, but that was the only way that it was available. Anyway, that, so now I'm just like, soaking it up you know like how what a joy to be able to look across all these different things but that also makes it really hard because when it comes to it you love to see it there's so much to choose from oh my god but I gotta say there are two particular you love to see it's from the Euros that stand out for me um, over the course of this first match day the first is the debut goal to German veteran Alexandra Pop. She scored in Germany's very convincing defeat, I've got to say, of uh, Denmark. And she scored the fourth and final goal for the Germans. Alexandra Pop, she is one of the most capped German players of all time. But she has never been to a Euros before. She missed the last, I think, two versions for various reasons. And this was her first ever goal. It's a pretty extraordinary effort for someone who's been around the German women's national team for as long as she has. She's sort of one of the last real members of that golden generation of Germans coming off the back of their massive, like, what, five in a, in a row or something over the last couple of uh couple of goes so yeah so it was amazing to see her score her debut goal and to celebrate and all of her teammates getting around her as well because they obviously knew how important it was for her and on the topic of I suppose veterans and goal scorers and what it means my other really big you love to see it was uh was Spain and Spain's win over Finland which occurred without Alexia Pateas, who if you have been living under a rock Alexia Pateas, the captain 100 caps for Spain, first woman footballer to do it. 
she tore her ACL on the eve of the tournament. And uh, it was a huge, uh, it was an earthquake of a moment, I think, for people really looking forward to watching Spain um, in this Euros because she's obviously the Ballon d'Or winner, uh, captain of Barcelona. You know, she is one of the big names in women's football at the moment. So she wasn't there, um, but she sort of was. So she she stayed in England for the, the opening match day and she was in the stand when Spain took on Finland. And after each of her teammates scored in their 4-1 win, all of them ran over to the side of the pitch where Pateas was sitting and pointed at her and celebrated with her and dedicated their goals to her. So that was a really moving moment. And I think those are the kinds of stories and the kinds of moments that people really remember from these kinds of tournaments, you know, like, yeah, like there are going to be awesome goals and cool passages of play or whatever, but it's the really human moments like pop, like Pateas, so many more that are going to happen over the course of this Euros that I think are really going to stand out and strike those kind of like emotional tones, which make tournament football so exciting. I 100% agree with you, but my you love to see it's uh, all good passages of playing good goals. I'm just like, <laughs> kick ball good, make happy. I love. Um, yin and yang. <laughs> plus. We've got to balance each other out considering there's no Angela and Anna to kind of add the balance to the overall structure of the pod. But as I said to you pre-record, I had a list of like 11 potential you love to see it before we started. So I will only pick a couple and I will pick non-Euro ones to just broaden our scope. So Copa America started very recently. I forgot about it. I'm still sorry. I feel really bad that I forgot about it. But Dana Castellanos, who plays for Venezuela, made sure that I could not forget her. She scored an absolutely cracking goal for them in their 1-0 win over Colombia. It was just stunning. And she's a player that there's been a lot of hype around for ages. So I think it's nice that now she's a little bit older. She's kind of, I suppose, more settled into her career. We can kind of enjoy her and how she plays and how obviously talented she is without the kind of wonder kid tag following her around. So I don't know how we watch Copa America. If you know, let us know, but you can find this goal on the line. Go watch it. It is absolutely sensational. The other you love to see it for me was Christine Sinclair scoring her 190th international goal. 190. 190. That's a lot of goals. It was was a very kind of standard Sinclair goal. There was nothing flashy about it, but she's done that shit 190 times at the international level. (laughs) And Canada are obviously flying. They've got two wins in their two group games at the CONCACAF W Championships. They've qualified for Australia, New Zealand 2023. So lots of very exciting things, but just I don't think we can give Christine Sinclair, enough flowers. I don't think we can put enough respect on her name because so many people will not put respect on her name and will tell you that the all-time international goal-scoring record is actually 73 goals less simply because they refuse to acknowledge that women play football. But Christine Sinclair, we love to see it. We hope to see it next year on the shores of Australia and New Zealand. We hope to see it in September. When I mean, Canada come down to visit the Matildas, oh my I, God! I didn't forget about those friendlies in our country, Marissa. I am going to pass out from excitement. Yeah. I I cannot believe I'm going to be in the same like hemisphere as her. <laughs> honestly, it's going to be so exciting. So we absolutely love to see it. But like I said, there have been so many things we love to see. We're going to start with the Euros. It is going to be a pretty Eurocentric pod, just because they are the easiest games for us to watch here in Australia and to be fair they have absolutely been delivering we've picked out only a handful of the first match day results but let's start with the opening game it was England the hosts beating Austria 1-0 a Beth Mead goal it's quite impressive a little bit Sam Kerr-esque if we're we're gonna start uh using her as a descriptor which we are but it was a good first win for England there's Still some, I suppose, nerves from having such a big kind of hype around them, being the hosts, them really wanting to do well in this tournament. But what were your thoughts and takes on this England win? 
Yeah, I mean, like the the energy coming to the game was like so incredible and seeing and hearing and feeling that full Old Trafford Stadium, 68,000 people I think was around the number, a, a sellout crowd, the highest crowd for a, a standalone Women's Euros event. Like it's just amazing. And given I think the expectations that this Lionesses side now has on them, it sort of created this buzz, you know, that was that I think everybody's like, it's, it's not sort of an anxious buzz. It's like an exciting buzz because I feel like this Linus's team, unlike perhaps the men's side, they are actually capable of doing this, you know, and there's real genuine belief from fans that they are capable of winning this tournament. So I think this game against Austria, but like this is the thing, right? Maybe because it was so England heavy that we almost underestimated Austria a little bit. Because they were actually pretty good. They were they were pretty resolute. They gave England a couple of scares. Manuela Zinsberger was just extraordinary. She really kept them in it. But England, you know, they had maybe fewer clear-cut opportunities than perhaps they were expecting, particularly coming off the back of their friendlies, like that 5-1, 5-0 demolition of the Netherlands, for example. Like they were like, well, this is the Netherlands, this is them, well, we'll be fine. But coming up against Austria, they were like, oh, crap. Like, okay, it turns out we actually need to really play here. Um, and they did, you know, they, they did, they, even though only a one nil scoreline was sort of the result of it. You know, if you look at their stats, they had, you know, 15 shots to eight, 60% possession, um, their passing accuracy was better. You know, they had more corners, they all, you know, they were, they were very, very dominant in lots of different ways. I was really impressed, I think, probably predictably by Lauren Hemp. I just think she's stellar. She's one of the most exciting young players currently in football, not just in women's, but also just in football generally. She's so, so fun to watch. Every time she's on the ball, you feel, you know, she's going to do something and she does because she's so brave and she takes players on and she trusts herself. She has that instinct, which I just love watching. And the substitutions that Wigman made uh, towards the back end of the game were really interesting as well, because even though they were only up 1-0, she threw on a bunch of youngsters. So we saw Chloe Kelly come on to the wing. We saw Alessia Russo come on for Ellen White. And we saw Ella Toon come on as well to try and provide some creativity. And what a cool thing it is to see a head coach in a moment like that, in a game like that where you're only winning 1-0, to trust her young players like that and to give them some serious time to come on and try and win the game. And or they were winning, but to try and like get a result. Like she didn't lean on her veterans. She didn't necessarily feel like you needed to bring on a Jill Scott, for example, you know, like that is really exciting to me to see from a, a head coach like her. And I think it's the kind of decision that you make as a leader that really injects a lot of, faith and belief in the playing group um and that's I think more than anything what's going to really solidify England going forward is that they know that they have this depth on the bench regardless of experience when it comes to major tournaments so they can literally pick on anybody and know that they're going to be able to do what they need to do so yeah I I I thought it was a really good game it was a really um sort of tactical game it was an intense game didn't sort of have all the explosions maybe that people were expecting but that's perhaps because I reckon Austria were a little bit better than what people were expecting as well I agree with you like it's really exciting and I think because there's also just a lot of hype around those young players we know Chloe Kelly absolutely tears it up in the WSL and it's so good to see that she's come back from that ACL and seemingly there's been no issues so it's so nice that she's just been able to kind of run at it my thing with England is always just like people were so excited and so hyped through their Euro the the World Cup qualifiers and I was like okay but you beat like Georgia how much are you really taking from this so this result I'm still like unsure how much we can actually take from it about who England actually are and what they are actually capable of doing which brings us to their next game against Norway. I think this is going to be where we really find out are yeah, England mama. winning this thing? Is it coming home? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we wait. We will watch. We'll be very excited. There's a good chance you'll be, you'll already know the results of this game when you're listening to this because we are recording on the 11th of July, but cannot wait for that game. 
my other favorite part from that game was the end of it. The camera's obviously panning around to the players. Everyone's, you know, shaking hands, being nice. Some club teammates are saying hi to each other. And you just see the Arsenal duo, Manuela Zinsberg, the Austrian goalkeeper, and Beth Mead, her Arsenal teammate. And Zinsberger just says, fuck you to Mead after she chipped her. <laughs> Uh, to score the lone goal in that game. I was just like, that's friendship. That's exactly how you should greet your True. friend after she's chipped you <laughs> to win a game in a major <laughs> tournament. So I loved that moment and I loved that it was captured on camera and we all got to see it. But other big results from this tournament. I think it's safe to say that while maybe no one wrote them off, no one was talking about Germany. Germany have very, very high Euro pedigree. But when it comes to the predictions, the previews, no one was really talking about them. Not to say that they were going to do badly, just no one kind of thought they were going to win. And then they said, Guten Tag, we're here. We're going to beat Denmark 4-0. So please talk to me a little bit about this huge German result. Yeah, it was so weird, wasn't it? I remember when I was writing my preview and I was trying to figure out which teams to sort of put in which category. And I got to Germany and I was like, Germany aren't really favourites. Why aren't people talking about Germany? Well, like I, I, I put them in my underdogs category because I was like, I, I can't really justify based on their form over the last probably 12 to 18 months that they're a real clear favourite in the likes, like, the same as like in England or a Spain or a Sweden. But at the same time, they're the most successful Euros nation ever. You know, like they have some incredible play. And so... When I think about Germany, I think the issue that they're having at the moment is that they, they're going through a bit of a transition. And like going back to what I was saying about Alexandra Pop, like she was part of that older, that old guard, that guard of, of players who were like, they were the German team, the German national team. And you like just saying the name out loud sort of sent shivers through your spine. But they're sort of moving away from that now. And I think they're, they're in that sort of transition phase perhaps timed well ahead of next year. I'm not sure. Um, but we are starting to see a couple of really exciting younger players coming through for Germany. And, and some of them, you know, they, they played in this game against Denmark and this was, you know, and Denmark has sort of nothing to sniff at either. You know, like they were the runners up in 2017. They lost the final to the Netherlands. They have Peniel Harder, you know, former world player of the year. But this was an absolute demolition by Germany. It was so, it was almost out of character just based on like if you looked across their form coming into this tournament, they were sort of up and down. I think they lost to Serbia in a World Cup qualifier completely weirdly. So people were like, yeah, yeah, but like who are they? What are they doing? Sort of not really convincing. Coming into this, oh my God, all of a sudden it was just like, they just was like, Denmark? Nah, nah. Who are you? Nah, we're Germany. And this was like German football. It was so ruthless. It was efficient. It was so slick and powerful. It was just, oh, I just loved it. It reminded me really of the Germany of old, you know, the kind of Germany that was sitting at the top of the European ladder for so, so, so many years. So, yeah, it was it was fabulous. I feel like Denmark didn't help themselves, really. I thought they played quite poorly. They were a little bit slow. Um, they struggled to connect passes. They couldn't really find avenues forward. Um, and they just, they kept making sort of unforced errors as well, you know, like passing to other team, like opposition team players and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was the kind of start that I think Germany needed to have in this tournament for to, to be like, okay, like you said, Marissa, guten tag. Remember us? Yeah, we're here. We're back, bitches. So watch out. Yeah, I can't wait for the next couple of games. I think like Germany, Spain is going to be an absolute ripper. That's the perfect segue. Spain were obviously big winners as well. They nabbed a 4-1 win over Finland. As we mentioned, they did it without Puteas, which does make it all the more impressive, even though a team isn't one player, but it was real all guns blazing for Spain. There was another big result that had a 4-1 scoreline. We saw Norway defeat Northern Ireland, the debutants. It's their first tournament. So awesome to see that they got a goal, but Norway were just... Norway were delightful. And so for Optus Sport, I tipped Arda Hegerberg to be the golden boot. And so then when I saw the scoreline was 4-1, I was like, Arda, my gal, a hat-trick? all four and then I saw she hadn't scored a single one and I was like 
sad for my tips, but also that's another four goal scorers for Norway. So I had them as my kind of dark horse, but in inverted commas, but if that's their kind of strong showing for the the first game of their tournament, then that is a pretty good sign. Let's move over to Group C. It was very interesting. We had two draws. Up until that stage, I don't think we had had any draws, and we've got two draws in this group. The draw that we want to highlight in Group C was Netherlands and Sweden. Did you expect... A draw. Did this game go how you expected, I suppose, is my question. No, not at all. I thought Sweden would run away with this, truly, because the Netherlands coming into this tournament did not look like they knew what they were doing. <laughs> and I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe it's because they have a new head coach and he is coming from a very different footballing background, you know, coming from the United States where you play a very different style of football. Um and there, yeah, I mean, I think people looked at that friendly result against England and were like, wow, how, how, how far the mighty have fallen type of thing. And it was almost the polar opposite trajectory of Sweden, right, who had, you know, won a silver medal at the Olympics. You know, they were absolutely galloping along. And like Sweden were one of my favourites to, to win the Euros as well. But this, yeah, like this game was sort of funny. I feel like Sweden did have the attacking upper hand and maybe they just weren't clinical enough. Like we saw how absolutely ruthless they could be at Tokyo. When you give them an inch of space, they are able to capitalize on it. But maybe it is that we underestimated the Netherlands, you know, in the same way that we underestimated Austria against England. Like they were pretty well organized. They were pretty resolute, but I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't feel like the Netherlands of 2017 for some reason. And maybe it's because of the head coach role um, changing hands. And maybe it's because they do have some sort of newer players playing in different kinds of positions. Uh, it was odd to me that uh, Miedemar got player of the match, I think it was, when she didn't really seem to do very much. I thought Jackie Gronin was very, very good. She probably deserved that that award more than Miedemar did, even though Miedemar's run sort of set up the equalizer um and uh, Jill Rod I think has is a, another really underrated player as well for the Netherlands like her her goal was was good it was like yes it was sort of lucky it came off of like a poor clearance but you got to be there to you know to score the goal in the first place so yeah she it's they're they're an interesting I don't really know what to make of them you know whereas I thought I thought I knew what to make of Sweden coming in because I mean, maybe it's because I'm still traumatized from the Olympics, and I'm it's 100 the emotional damage. Like, yes, and even. I'm having to, I'm having to sort of uh, excavate all of these um, un undealt with emotions. It's not the right word, but all of these emotions that I haven't dealt with appropriately. I haven't spoken uh, to my psychologist about them thoroughly, but yeah, it was. It, it sort of puts an interesting spin on things now, doesn't it? Because these were the two teams that we expected to be going sailing through the group stage and now the two of them are at the bottom of the group because they only scored one goal each and they sort of cancel each other out and they drew whereas the Portugal and Switzerland also drew but they scored two goals each and so they're both at the top which is not the way that we thought this would go um but yeah it's I when I look at I suppose the two teams in terms of what I think they can do attack wise I'm more convinced by Sweden that I am of the Netherlands because I think the Netherlands are too dependent on Miedemar and other teams know that if you just push her out of the game, they they can struggle more than, say, a Sweden who have, I think, a more uh, multifaceted sort of attacking trio going forward. So if you take one of them out, it's like, well, here's another one, you know, and so they're a little bit more adaptable to those kinds of defensive um, structures. So, yeah, but it was, again, like, cracking game like it was a really really good game really tight game um and it showed I think how far women's football in Europe has sort of come since the last Euros as well like even though yeah Netherlands were different to what they were everyone's different to what they were and different in good ways like you could see that people the players are they're faster they're more physical I think their touches are cleaner and and um and more concise 
you know, the tactics are changing. It's just, yeah, it's fabulous. I'm just loving this whole thing. This is just like a kid in a candy store for me, this tournament. And it's so fun to not have to have hot takes about it all the time. I can just sit and watch it and just love it. And, oh, yeah, it's the best. We truly do love to see it. I will say, though, I swear mainly because I tipped Sweden, so them winning does well for my confidence. I think I saw a friend of the pod, Mia Erickson, who you may remember from our Olympic episode, say something or retweet something about Sweden having a slow start in major tournaments. So I am hoping that is what is happening here for the sake of my predictions because I don't like being wrong. Something, I I have no segue for this. I think we need to just kind of attack it head on because... This team makes no sense. The story makes no sense. Everything is wild. It is the roller coaster that is the French national team. Let's attack it the same way that France attacked Italy, shall we? Because that was a demolition. Destruction. And a half. I did not expect this at all. This is probably the most unexpected of all of the games and all of the results over this first match day. it It was one of the best halves of international football that I've ever seen from a team. Like I, I sort of, it was the kind of football that you have always wanted France to play. This is the thing. This is the football I wanted France to play in 2019 when we saw them on the, on home soil at the women's world cup, they weren't playing like that. They weren't playing like they played in that 45 minutes. They were like a knife through butter. It was incredible. Italy looked completely shell-shocked. If Italy had scored that chance in very early on, I think it would have been a completely different complexion to this game. But, oh, my God, I, I, you just, like, sometimes you just have to sort of sit back and just, like, appreciate a team for how they function. And as incredibly problematic as Corinne Diacre is, I think we do need to give her a tiny breadcrumb of credit for bringing in Marie Antoinette Cototo, Katadu Diani, and Delphine Cascarino. Starting those three up front is a genius move. Outside of probably Norway, I would say that France has the best front three of any team in the Euros. And this is exactly why. They were just amazing. And I'm so pleased, particularly for Grace Gioro, because she has been through the ringer over the last couple of years. She's the captain of PSG now. She seems to have been sort of in and out and not really trusted in that kind of midfield role for France for the last couple of years, but she's got a goddamn hat trick. She was absolutely bossing it in the middle of the park there. And Italy just didn't have any answers. And I, I mean, maybe it's because Italy's forwards are sort of getting on in age a little bit, you know, you've got your Christina Girelli, you've got your Barbara Bonancia, but outside of them, I didn't really see them offering very much going forward. It was a, it was a really chaotic game. Like they did, they brought, they got a goal back sort of in the, in the second half in the 70 something minute. Um, and then there was that crazy moment with Sarah Gama almost being red carded for clap. I feel like it was a red card, but that's just me. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just, oh my God. And so I, like, I sort of woke up at, at five and I was like, oh, this is probably going to be quite a tight game. You know, it's probably going to be like quite like chessy, you know, players moving here and there. And it's going to be like a, a moment here or there or a mistake here or there. But this was just like complete steamroll. So I'm very glad that I got up for it actually, because this was the kind of football that I've wanted France to play for such a long time. And I remember sending a question to um, the the folks who are hosting the new Guardian Women's Football Weekly podcast. And my question to them was, if France don't perform at this Euros again, is it going to be one of the biggest wastes of generational talent in international women's football? And all of them were like, yeah, because you like, and this is why you see this half of football that France put on against Italy. And you're like, this is what has been missing. This is what they have been capable of, but they have not been performing it up until now. So I hope this is not just a one-off 45 minutes. I hope that they can continue to do this throughout the rest of the tournament, because that is how you win it. I think that's the thing, like the, I believe they have a quarterfinal curse. So they may well breeze through this group stage. It's then the knockouts where things could get a bit dicey and a bit hairy. But if they produce another half like that, 
shortly they do have to be in contention. And you would hope that the, like I said, it's just the the absolute soap opera that kind of follows them off the field for once doesn't get in the way or isn't playing a role in this tournament. But we will sit and we will find out what happens there. Couple little like tidbits of news. So obviously we've got lots more games to come. We will talk about them as they happen with a couple of episodes, but some big kind of news. Obviously, Putes doing her knee pre-tournament was really, really devastating. We've unfortunately had another ACL injury in tournament. So Simone McGill, who plays for Northern Ireland, has done her knee. That's been confirmed. So wishing both of them very smooth, speedy recoveries. It's been a real shocker for the old anterior cruciate ligament in football at the moment. So we do not love to see it. We've had some record crowds, as you mentioned, 68,000 at Old Trafford, just absolutely phenomenal. The scenes of the Dutch fans and the Swedish fans taking over Rotherham, amazing, unbelievable, so good. Cannot wait to see them here. Well, I I assume, I'm hoping, I'm pretty sure Sweden. Actually, no, I think they might have both qualified. So can't wait to see them and to hang out and be best friends. And one thing that we spoke a little bit about pre-record was the fact that COVID's still a thing, if you don't know, and teams are having to manage COVID Remember cases. Remember that thing that's shut down the whole world for the past two and a half years? Yeah, it's back. It's in POG form. <laughs> it's still throwing curveballs. So a few teams are having to manage cases here and there. So whether or not it has the potential to derail an entire team's tournament, like... India at the Asian Cup, that's kind of the most extreme, awful example. Hopefully no one has to get to that stage, but it is something that is still a factor in our conversations. That's the Euros for now. We're going to just move a little bit through some of the other major tournaments that are happening at the moment. We've got the CONCACAF W Championship. The W stands for women, in case you didn't know. We've already got three teams that have qualified for the 2023 World Cup. So we will be seeing the USA and Canada, which not really a surprise, but we will also see the return of Costa Rica, who last qualified for 2015 in Canada and will be back. So super exciting. They've been scoring some cracking goals in that tournament from my very hurried highlight watching The other kind of game to watch from the group stage is Jamaica v Haiti. That's basically become like a direct qualification playoff. So the winner of that game will qualify for the World Cup. We know 2019 was Jamaica's debut year. Haiti have never qualified for the World Cup. So either way, it's going to be a really, really good story. A team we probably won't be seeing are the CONCACAF W Championship hosts, Mexico, who have just had the absolute worst time ever like if England was living it up winning one nil in front of 68,000 people Mexico were down three nil down to 10 in front of like two people it hasn't been good for Mexico at all I retweeted a piece from ESPN that I would recommend reading if you want to learn a little bit more about what the hell is going on with Mexico because it really is a surprise that they have underperformed as badly as they have and the (laughs) The worst thing is they still have to play the US. So you can't imagine that that is going to go particularly well for them. It's not good. We also have the Women's African Cup of Nations on at the moment. We're at the quarterfinal stage and there are some very exciting games in there because we will have some more debutants at the World Cup. So We've got a few games. Morocco, Botswana. Morocco are the hosts. They were undefeated during the group stage and the winner of that quarterfinal will be joining us in Australia and New Zealand next year, which is very exciting. Nigeria will play Cameroon. I recently learned Nigeria have won 11 of 13 Women's African Cup of Nations. So just like casually, pretty good. We'll see what they do. They've also qualified for every World Cup. So if they win that game against Cameroon, they will make it a ninth straight World Cup. Uh, Zambia are taking on Senegal. Again, neither of these sides have qualified for the World Cup, so the winner will be going to their first ever Women's World Cup. And then South Africa and Tunisia, we remember South Africa from 2019, they were always good fun. The South African fans are always good fun, even with the Vuvuzelas. Like, I, I Speaking don't... of unearthing trauma, Marissa, you've <laughs> just, like, 
It's almost, do you, <laughs> did you ever play when you were in high school? Did you ever play the game? And now you've lost the game. That is what you've done with Vuvuzelas to me. I am not going to think about anything else except for the honk and haw- the, the, the hooting and hollering the of the Vuvuzela for the rest of my night. Do you know And what I blame you. I hear a Vuvuzela and all of a sudden I'm on my lounge, like I'm in my lounge room on my couch. It's dark. It's 4 a.m. The Socceroos are losing 4-0 to Germany. Everything's bad. Oh like God. it's <laughs> it's instant. It is absolutely instant. <laughs> Unfortunately, don't know how to watch WAFCON, which is the acronym for the African Cup of Nations, but there are highlights on the old YouTube machine, so would recommend. As I mentioned as well, Copper America has just started. The bad news there is that everyone's favourite, Cote Rojas, has tested positive for the Roni, so she will not be taking part in Chile's first game, but... We can't wait to see Brazil won their opening game against Argentina, which you expect them to do. But that tournament's just started, so we'll probably talk about that one a little bit more as it progresses. We've also got the OFC Nations Cup starting this week. No New Zealand because they've obviously already qualified for the tournament as host. So in terms of who could actually win that tournament, I imagine it might be a bit exciting, a bit spicy. Mm -hmm. The only Mm -hmm. problem is the winner will not qualify directly for the World Cup, they head straight to that intercontinental playoff, which is taking place in New Zealand at the start of next year. So as we said, so much football to watch. Someone who is currently soaking up the best of all that football in England is our very own Angela Christian Wilkes. And though she cannot be on the pod physically, she is going to be regaling us with her tales of what happens in England in the very first edition of what we are dubbing Carrot's Corner. Sam and I have not listened to what is about to happen, but here is the very first edition of Carrot's Corner. Hello. Um, this is Angela joining me for Carrot's Corner. I don't know if Papa's listeners know about this, but my nickname at outdoor soccer is actually carrot so you know it kind of works for this uh i will be running you through my trip so far at euro 2022 just to start off with i want to flag that i have already lost that tiny little clip that comes with the lavalier mic i had it yesterday i'm absolutely positive i had it at the pub yesterday and it's gone now forever apparently so doing well doing well um i'm really thinking of that regina specter song at the moment genius of the year there's the lyrics genius genius of the year and you've won that's that's there's been a few moments like that so far on this trip anyway that's that's not going to stop me so i'm joining you from the car park of the most beautiful hostel i've ever stayed in um it's called palmer's lodge in swiss cottage and it's just the decor is just beautiful the building itself is beautiful oh hello the bill thank you um yeah so i thought i'm, I'm not going to provide much in-depth analysis but i'll run through the games that i've been to so far and what i've been up to and just like yeah what it's like being over here at the moment for 2022 um Tuesday I went up to Manchester and had an absolute mare with my accommodation. Wednesday I did pre-game fun things. I went to the National Football Museum and I went shopping, bought too much stuff way too early on in the trip. I decided I would do my pre-match predictions like literally two hours beforehand and so I was I edited the TikTok and then my phone overheated and so I lost the edit. So I was like walking to Old Trafford and then editing a TikTok at the same time which I would not recommend, really. Um, I will say, like, the atmosphere in Manchester, every single place that I've been to, there's been a lot of um, signage and, like, branding. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been really positive in that sense. I know that when we were at France, it's some of the places we went, it sometimes felt like you wouldn't have even known there was, like, the World Cup going on so yeah first game Old Trafford the atmosphere I have I was going to compare it to the the France US game at the World Cup but this was just like so dominated by English fans they truly brought it it was so loud 
It was like I sat down at the start of the match and I bought a ticket to the studs after party under Sammy Marissa's recommendation. Um, and I was like, fine. And then by the end of the match, I was completely exhausted because I was so overstimulated the entire time by the noise, but like in a really good way. Um, also, I enjoyed the fact that like, obviously it's very cute. There was like a cute family sitting in front of me who were taking photos with Old Trafford behind me. Um, I was sat really, really high up, which I actually prefer most of the time. But I also enjoyed the fact that there were like old grumpy dudes as well who were like watching and attending by themselves. I kind of feel like I align a lot more with their energy than, you know, the wholesome families attending the football it was just an incredible incredible atmosphere obviously the game itself second half ugh. but um really impressed by Austria I guess in terms of how structured and um committed to their game plan they were um so yeah and I just want to give a shout out I mentioned this in the group chat that Beth Mead obviously she was like a tiny pinpoint on my horizon so I didn't see this but um, I found out afterwards that she did the celebration recommended to her by Amelia um, in Chicken Shop Date, which is very cute. That's like a web series. Highly recommend if you haven't ever watched it, but they did Chicken Shop Date with Beth Mead and Lucy Bronze, and it's very funny. Something really beautiful about the kind of, I guess, the geography of the tournament is that the games are on at eight, but it's still so light, and you get to see this, like, beautiful twilight moments um which was actually a big thing at the second game I went to so came back to London had a bit of a day off um attending any football and then I went to uh see Germany Denmark at Brentford Stadium which is in the west of London um and home to I want to say Brentford United Football Club I'll look this up they have a very cute logo it's bees um quite a small stadium um but I think it it really suited the size but I always enjoy watching Germany play yep Brentford Football Club um always enjoy watching yeah Germany play because they're so clinical and so scary so physical and I'm sure anyone who's kind of seen the highlights of that game Denmark were really struggling to produce anything and you could see from the stands like the visible frustration of harder because they just kind of got a bit looser with their passes as the game progressed and yeah Germany as Kathleen said I did a little interview with Kathleen McNamee um, which is up on our social media you would want Germany to defend you in a fight they're just incredibly physical um, yeah and so Brentford Stadium there was this beautiful kind of sunset pink sky moment before um, and then, yeah, it was a bit of a trek to get back, honestly. I thought it would be the easiest scene as London's so well connected, whereas, like, for example, Old Trafford, that's a fair way out of town. No, I don't know how I managed it, but I ended up walking through this very strange business park with all this fancy public art. Which I appreciate. I like when you just get to have a meander. Although you should choose the times that you meander, which I'll get to. Um, so then, yep, up to Sheffield to see Netherlands, Sweden. And I don't think I really need to explain this, but both of these teams just have such amazing fans that travel. And so when I'm like coming into Sheffield on the tram, I'm already seeing all the shirts. Um, Sheffield itself was decked out. There was really positive atmosphere around, um, yeah, and the fan zone was like just up the hill from the stadium as well, so just a little short walk. I didn't end up going to the fan zone, caught up with Kathleen and Amy pre-game um, at a place which I would be had some clients which was which was lovely um and then I went to a sports bar to watch part of the men's tennis final like I said just very off-brand for me to get behind Purcell and Ebden as much as I have and like I said I, I usually like sitting up high um but my seats for Netherlands Sweden were actually quite low I was like second row back um which was 
kind of a, a new experience. Got to see you know all the big names up close. Um, I was in the Netherlands supporter section, which suited me. I had my Netherlands jersey on. They're just such great fun, uh, and that's kind of like why I get behind them and I enjoy like being like a you know flaky supporter for the Netherlands because it's just it's just fun. It's just fun and. Shout out! This this is like one of my hellgoods. I have another hellgood, but like one of my hellgoods was definitely the um, the little contingent of carrots that were in the crowd, which were just fantastic. I was messaging my friend Ruth um, throughout the match. She's Dutch, and she'll be joining me for the quarterfinals onwards. So obviously, a vested interest to make sure that no ones get through, which I'm fairly certain they will. But honestly, some of the results that we've seen so far in the tournament, you can't, you know, never say never, as the Beads famously quoted or said or whatever. Um, But, yeah, so she was not impressed by the the first half showing and I think it was definitely picked up by, you know, analysts how deep Vivian Wiedemann was dropping for that game. Um, There was obviously the injury blows as well, so Van Wienendahl coming off and... uh, the keeper who came on who hasn't she didn't play any of the friends in the lead up to the tournament so very very fresh so I think she did a great job considering but then um yeah I guess they they managed to get a point uh what did Ruth send to me she sent me the word poop poop which means poop contest and then the Netherlands equalized straight afterwards so not so much of a poop contest, but hopefully I, I did appreciate learning that expression. Um, speaking of, I guess, bad results. Well, the first bad result was that I walked after the game half an hour out of Sheffield. Like, I just thought that I was following the ring road that would take me home, but I absolutely was not. And so then I panicked, ate five Jaffa cake bars and righted myself to get back to where I needed to go. Um, But yeah, interesting results the day after. Then I went to France, Italy, and that was kind of an interesting one because um, obviously it didn't have the huge turnout of English fans. It was uh, a mixed crowd, but it was nice to see. I think a lot of local people got around it and and were showing up for the game, which was fantastic. And there were um, some locals sat behind me um, who were very disappointed at the lack of the tiny car driving the ball out. Um, they're like, oh, that's a bit crap, isn't it? Where's the car? I don't know if that, no, that was probably more Welsh than Northern. I'm very, I'm very sorry um, to anyone who listens to that. But yeah, what an interesting result. Like Italy just like crumbled before our eyes and I was in peak position. I was like, not directly behind the goal, but like a little bit to the right. So I got to see all of the goals. And France were just, it was just so beautiful watching them play. Like you kind of miss that, how the the kind of texture of games sometimes, they're just, they're, they're touches on the ball were just so velvety and they're like their runs and that, yeah, it it was a really, I felt awkward. Like, I always feel awkward in my soul when there's a massive blowout result. But it was also really positive to see Italy come back. And the, in the second half, the English people and the crowd really got behind Italy and were making lots of noise. And, and that was that was great to see as well. And to get that one goal, I guess, and to be able to regroup in the way that they did, I guess that's kind of what Denmark weren't able to do. And another team that we'll get to so I guess yeah went back to Sheffield and then yesterday went from Sheffield to Brighton and went to the game with my clubmate Devon and I think I was super super excited for this game because I thought it was going to be like that quarterfinal game at the World Cup where it really felt like you know two superpowers clashing heads um, really bitey and exciting and end-to-end and it was just not that 
Um, again, very lucky with where I was sat. Same kind of position um, behind the goal to the right. Got to see goal after goal after goal after goal after goal. Um, yeah, it was, but again, deep, deeply awkward. The Norwegian fans were just to the right of us and it was so somber. And to their credit, they had some Vikings there who were trying to run, who were trying to sing some songs, try and get the energy up, but it was just... What can you do in that situation if you've travelled all that way to see that kind of result? Um, yeah, it's starting to fit. I definitely I was thinking about the, the France-Italy game for sure. Like I think Italy have been in a position recently where they've been able to shock others and that's kind of in their you know, style of play, but they, they weren't able to recover quickly enough when they were the ones being shocked. Um, and I think that's perhaps even more the case to the extreme for Norway, the fact that they really weren't able to find any kind of substantial attacking opportunities in that second half. It's just... Um, so, yeah, I guess that's... I, I, it's one of those things. Sometimes my prediction for Dark Horse was Italy, right? I think the exciting thing is none of us know anything, and anything could happen here. So that's going to make for a very, very exciting tournament. Anyway, I have been nattering on for bloody ages. Okay, um, I'm going to finish off with my... You'll love to see it. My hair good and my boot. Um, and I'll also give a quick ranking of the food at the stadiums. I think this is really important to touch on because I have been impressed. Amy Park, you better be listening, okay? I'm going to be taking notes. Actually, all of the venues for 2023... If I don't see some kind of effort being made, I would be furious. Anyway, so, you love to see it. Cascarinas. Oh, what the hell? They're just, the, to be able to witness the power of it in real time was fantastic. But then you watch the replay in the way that she just like, it's like threading a needle just the the way that she finds the space and then somehow like divides carves through Italy's defense was just sensational I I loved it fantastic and like I said that France performance if I get to see them play like that again I'll be immensely happy I'll just be like soaking that my goodness how good so like I said the carrots I love them so much they're my people um, but I also loved the flag that Peniel Harder's and Magda Eriksson's parents made. It's like half Danish, half Swedish flag with a rainbow in the middle, and it's just so bloody cute. Anyway, that is my how good. Um, my boot. My boot is to the UEFA, not the ticketing app, and not the Women's Euros app, because both of those have been fantastic. But I really, I find it somehow baffling that they had a resale function set up at the end of April and the start of May. And then it's closed, and there's no way to be able to use that and to safely transfer. You can still transfer tickets, but to get any kind of exchange of tickets or money, you have to kind of go through Facebook or you have to... Um, go on Twitter, so Jenny Neal at shepicks.net has started a thread so people can be able to get tickets to the games that they want to go to. And I just don't understand why that couldn't have been inverted into, that resale function could have been inverted into the tournament itself, like they did with the, at the France 2019. At France 2019, I will say the app and the, the platform itself was garbage. It was not good. This is like miles miles better but you can't do it during the tournament itself and I just find that very strange okay the same man has interrupted me twice to sit down next to me and have a cigarette I I think I actually might be in the smoking talk so this is all my own fault but I still couldn't can't he see I'm talking to myself here okay I think it's just a bit of privacy please um, anyway, yes, so 
that was pretty much the boot. I think it was probably a good thing that I was cut off there because I could have kept whinging for a little bit. Okay, final segment. Grub at the dub rankings for the stages two. So far. Um, I, sorry, that's just some ASMR for you. Page 10. Okay, so I nearly, number one, almost didn't make it because I forgot to check if they had anything. But um, at American Express Community Stadium last night, they still had food going after the game. So I got a nightcap. I guess it was a nightcap. It was still pretty early. Um, of Heineken and a vegan Baltic pie. And it was excellent. It was very flavorful. The pastry was, you know, crisp, delicious. Um, the fact that it was vegan, you know, extra points. I, I've been trying to eat the vegetarian options. Um, so that, that has been a positive. Number two, chicken and leek pie that I got at Rotherham Stadium. Um, it was a bit messy to eat, so that does lose at points. And also, but it was very hot, so I accidentally sat my pavement, my Qantas cash card underneath it, and now it's like a little bit warped. Still works fine, it's whatever. Chicken and... Was it chicken and leek? It wasn't even chicken and leek. It was leek and potato. I don't know why I wrote chicken and leek. It was leek and potato. It was very good. Um, very rich. Um, yeah, veggie option. Again, pastry, very good. Very yum. I really liked it. Um, that was my front runner until I had the vegan Balti pie last night. Number three. Now, vegan dog. I just... It was okay. I probably let myself down here. So I had this at Brentford. And... It, it was a good vegan sausage. Good vegan hot dog. I would give it that. I forgot to get sauce though. So that's why. And I feel like if I need to think about multiple components of a meal, that loses points for me personally. But then also, like, I just. The bread was like a bit doughy, a bit hard to work through, but it was still good and still, you know, excellent that they were offering that option. And I will say that also Brentford and um, American Express Stadium. I can't remember who plays it, that one. I'll have to double check that. But they both had free tampons and pads in the bathrooms, which I think is fantastic um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Number four, where am I? Four, spicy potato pie that I got at Old Trafford. Now, this was a delicious pie. I will give it that. But I ordered it thinking it was the vegetarian option. It's not. It had meat in it. So, no. Don't, why do this? Why do this? I'm a very flaky vegetarian, though, so it wasn't a big issue for me. I still ate it. It was still yummy, but, like, not great. Fun fact, actually, about 4 and 20 pies. 4 and 20 pies are already bulked out with, like, soy filler. So the vegan plant-based option that they now offer is just like more of the soy filler and obviously none of the, the kangaroo tails or whatever else they put in foreign twenty pies. So there you go. Um, number five. Trying to remember what this was. Sheffield. Yes, Sheffield. Very disappointing. I ordered a vegan roll. I'm not even sure what it entailed what that kind of structure of that was. Not sure. But they were like, we've run out. Which could be a good thing in the sense that they, there were so many vegans or so many vegetarians at the stadium that they were able to cater to them. But this was at half time, so I was kind of like, mm, it's a shame. Um, and then I, so I got chips instead and it was like quite a small portion for the price and they weren't very good chips. Um, so yeah, that was a bit bad. But I think it's such a good thing that all the stadiums have like different things going on, different food. That's been a real positive because, you know, people in Australia will know the situation at the bigger soccer grounds. It, it's not good. You really have to go, you have to go boutique, you have to go NPL to get something that's halfway good value and somewhat 
and to not have to pay, you know, a bajillion dollars for a packet of twisties. Anyway, I obviously have a little package that I just worked through here. That is my grub at the Dub Rankings. I will continue to add to them, but I'm revisiting the same stadium. So maybe I might branch out, but if I'm eating the same thing, so I won't rehash that. This has been Carrot's Corner. Uh, it's been a little bit chaotic. I think it's actually gone on for quite a long time as well, so I'm so sorry, Marissa. But God bless you for letting me do this. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Missed you. See ya. No, hang on. Gonna try that again. See ya. No, it's no good. I just, I can't do it like her. No one can compete with Marissa.